I want to share a little bit with you this morning four things to know about your faith. Four things to know about your faith. If you're a, a note taker this morning, I want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, maybe take down some notes. What I really want to do is encourage you to become a studier of the Bible. Because, now I'm not talking about necessarily being a scholar or a theologian or any of that, but you need to study. I'm talking about study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. Amen. And so you'll know what God is talking about when you hear someone preach a word or when you read the Bible. Study a little bit. Get context and get some background. Understand what is going on. I had the great privilege and opportunity of going to the doctor lately, a little sarcasm, and uh, I went to the doctor, you know, and she checked me all out, and she said, well, you know, you, um, you know there's some issues there, and you got to kind of be careful, you know, you're an African-American male of a certain age, and uh, so blood pressure kind of comes into play, and uh, all of that type of things, and so she told me, what you need to do is cut out on your sodium, and you know, that type of thing, and you need to kind of watch your diet. But what she didn't do is she didn't give my wife a list of uh, dinners to make for the month, okay? That was up to me and her to go study and see what didn't have a lot of sodium and all that type. Of, we had to study that out. And likewise, when you come to church on Sunday morning, you get the word of God, but really you live every single day don't you? I mean, the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, the prophet, whoever it is, is not there with you every day to uh, share things with you and open up the word with you. And so we have a part to play in it also. And so I want to encourage you to study. You know, I've heard this term before. It, you know, we come to church and we kind of fill up like a gas station. We fill up, uh, you know, and then we can go through the week until it's time to come and fill up again. But you know what? The Lord kind of chastised me about that. And uh, if you've thought that way, that's okay. But here's, I want to encourage you, don't think that way anymore. And I'll tell you why. Because if you think of it, think of the comparison that we're making. We're talking, we're comparing it to like a vehicle where you go to the gas station and you fill up. But what do you do with your vehicle? You go home and you set it in your garage or in your driveway or it sits out at the curb until you need it again. So you fill it all up and then when you're ready to go somewhere to work or the grocery store or wherever it is, then you go out and get in that vehicle and it takes you where you need to go. Then it sets in the parking lot until you do what you have to do and then you come back and it takes you where you need to go. Well, I want to tell you Christianity is not like that. We don't fill up on Sunday, go somewhere, set it down, and then when we need it, when we need a healing, when we, need, we have trouble in some relationships or that, those type of things, we go and pick it up. So we don't want to compare it to that fill-up thing. We need to stay full, being filled with the Spirit. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to, to study. And so if you're a note-taker, take some notes this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, this, this message that we're going to touch on this morning, faith, I think is a very important part of your Christian walk. Because Habakkuk 2.4, uh, God told the people of Israel through Habakkuk, he said, Behold the proud man. Behold him. His soul is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. Those two things are in the same sentence. Behold the proud man. His soul is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. So when we're talking about faith this morning, the first thing we want to do is we want to understand what we want to be on the same page. What am I talking about when I talk about faith? 
Well, one thing we know is, based on that scripture, we're not talking about pride or haughtiness. Faith is uh, in direct opposition to pride and haughtiness. Behold the proud man. His soul is not upright. But, however, conversely, the just shall live by faith. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 10, just a couple of verses up from where we're going to go to in just a second, you'll see that it says the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul shall not be with him. And so now we understand that faith has to have, have something to do with being connected to God. Because he said the just shall live, walk, breathe, move, everything they do by faith. But if someone draws back, my soul shall not be with him. So we understand that faith is not about pride or haughtiness. Faith is not about drawing away from the Lord. It's, we have to be connected. So we have to understand what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Another thing uh, that I want to bring up is sometimes people use faith this way. They may come up to you, especially non-Christians, uh, may come up to you and say, what faith are you? And what they're talking about when they say, what faith are you, is maybe what religion? You know, who do you follow? What, or even if you're a Christian, what denomination are you? What faith are you? And so they're using it in that way. That's not the faith we're talking about this morning. When we say the just shall live by faith. The just shall not live by religion. The just shall not live by denomination. That's not what we're talking about when we say the just shall live by faith. So the first thing we need to do is before we get into the four things to know about your faith is understand what then are we talking about when we're talking about faith. So look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. says this, you know it very well. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that these things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so when we look at this definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we read a little bit further, it says that by faith, by the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, we understand that the worlds were framed by what? By the word of God. How were the worlds framed? By the word of God. How were the worlds framed? How were the worlds framed? The worlds were framed by the word of God. What did they do? They had to then respond to God's word. When God said, let there be light, the only reason why something happened is because light responded to what God said. God spoke, something responded. By faith, by the evidence of things not seen, by the substance of things hoped for, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. I then surmise that the faith that we're talking about, and as vast as the Lord is, as unsearchable as God is, 
as big as he is. He encompasses the universe. In fact, we could not even know God lest he reveals something to us. As big as he is, I believe he's made it very simple to understand what faith is. And so what I surmise is that faith is simply a correct response to God's spoken word. A correct response to God's spoken word. Say that with me. A correct response to God's spoken word. One more time. A correct response. That is what faith is. Look down a little further in in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, By faith, by the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 11, by the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, if he promised, that means he had to have said something. In order to promise, you have to make that promise known. How would Sarah know that he promised unless he said? So a correct response to the word of God is what we're talking about when we're talking about faith this morning. We're not talking about a religion. We're not talking about being proud or arrogant. All right, we're not talking about any of those other things. We're talking about simply hearing what God has to say and responding to it correctly. Amen. A correct response to what God has to say. All right, now, turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to talk about the four things that you should know about faith, the faith that we just defined here. And we need to understand that the life of faith is really a life of risk. We just said it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we as people love to make sure that we can see it before we take a leap with these eyes. But I love, and I believe you preach this, Pastor, I love what they they said about Walt Disney when they said he died uh, before before Disney World was complete. And when it was complete, they said, I wish he could have seen this. And they said, no, he did see this. (laughs) That's why it's here. That's how we have to be. We have to be able to see it in our spirit, with our spiritual eye. That's what we have to be able to do. And that's what we stand on. That's where we take our leap of faith. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 22. This is a familiar story that you know. Our friend Peter says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, this is right after he fed the 5,000 men. Made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side. 
while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. This sea of Gethsemane was about seven miles wide. So when, it's in the, when they say it's in the middle of the sea, it's probably about three and a half miles from either shore. Okay, keep that in mind. Middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So in other words, they couldn't jump out the boat necessarily unless you were you know, Mark Spitz or, well, that's, a, that's kind of an old swimmer. What's the new guy that went all the Phelps? Unless you're Phelps and swim all the way to shore, right? So they were in trouble if they were going to just jump overboard. Tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? They got into the boat. The wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. There's some things as I was looking or re-looking at this passage of scripture that kind of jumped out to me. Four things that you need to know about your faith. I think Peter learned some valuable lessons during this time, this very short time. Out in the middle of the sea, three and a half miles from either shore, saw Jesus walking on the water, believed enough to say, okay, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus said, come. If he steps out of that boat and he's not able to walk on the water, he ain't swimming to shore. And there's a great storm, a tumultuous storm. So he's got to believe. He's got to trust in something. Here's the first thing that you need to know about your faith. One of the things that will hinder your faith is familiarity. Familiarity. I'm going to have you turn a couple places here. Turn over to Luke with me. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 31. One of the things that will hinder your faith is familiarity. Look at what Jesus has to say about a situation in the Old Testament. It says, In that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. 
Remember Lot's wife. Do you remember the story of Lot's wife? God told them, get out of the city. That's a word from the Lord. Leave the city. But she was familiar with the city. Even though it was not a godly city, she was used to it. And so she only got so far from the city and she had to look back to what was familiar. She just couldn't help it. I know that God told me to do something, but I'm familiar with this. Familiarity will hinder your faith. Turn all the way back to Exodus. A little exercise this morning. Exodus chapter 13. Now listen, I know that we don't have all these scriptures up there for you, but that's all right. You just have to trust me. You just have to have faith. (laughs) Exodus 13, look at verse 17 and 18. It says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, had let the people go, had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and do what? return to Egypt. Why would God think that they would return to Egypt? A life of slavery and misery, of beatings, of insignificance. Why would they even turn back there? God knew they would as soon as they saw war. Why? Because it was a familiar place. Now the just shall live by faith. Live, walk, move, breathe, get up, go down, speak, talk, have relationship by faith. Faith to us in our human form is a life of risk, but familiarity will prevent us from reaching our destiny because of the unknown to us in our carnal mind. But if we are going to live a life of faith, if we are going to reach the destiny that God has for us, we are going to have to forget about what is familiar. Come on now, this is a word this morning. We are going to have to forget about what is familiar. I'm talking about us as individuals. I'm talking about in our marriages, in our relationships. I'm talking about in our families, and I'm talking about in this church. And the church as a whole. We are going to have to not worry, not let, just like technology, not let what's familiar be a crutch. Let it be a help. Let your history be a help. Don't let it be a crutch. Don't let familiarity hinder you. Second thing you need to know about your faith. There is something that shows your faith. And I wanna, I'll, I'll explain this. Number two is acting on impulse for God Shows your faith. Now, this might be kind of a hard one to swallow when you first hear it because I would say acting on impulse. But I'm talking about acting on impulse for God's word. Remember talking about obedience and what obedience really is, how obedience is a twofold thing? Obviously, obedience is doing what someone tells you to do. If my dad tells me, you know, paint the living room, then obedience is doing what he tells me to do. But if my dad says, paint the living room, 
and two weeks go by, I might get hurt. <laughs> Even if I paint the living room two weeks later. You want to know why? Because I did not fulfill the obedience. Because he told me two weeks ago. So it's doing what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it. That's what obedience is. And so acting on impulse for God shows your faith. We see that familiarity can hinder your faith, but acting on impulse for God shows your faith. Look back here at right where we're at, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Let's go to, back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 4. It says this, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Now, watch this verse. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then, after contemplating it for a while, going home and talking with their mother, no. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now let's go back to flip over back to chapter 14 in the story that we were just reading. And look at impulsive Peter. We talk about it. Look at verse 27. It says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. Jesus said, come. And it says, Peter had come down out of the boat. He didn't consult with the other disciples to say, do you guys believe this is Jesus? What do you think I should do? Do you think I should really get down out of the boat? He believed that that was the Lord, his master speaking to him. And he acted on God's word immediately. And so acting on impulse for God, for God, what do we talk about? What is faith? It is a correct response to God's spoken word. It is a correct response to God's spoken word. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about acting on impulse for God. We're talking about a correct response to God's spoken word, but a correct immediate response to God's spoken word. When God says to do it, that is the time of his visitation. That is the open door. That is the window. There is the moment that it needs to happen. And we can admit God is forgiving. We know that God is full of grace. But listen, he told Israel, do not miss your time of visitation. Don't miss it. And so do it right away. The third thing we need to understand about our faith. There is something that kills your faith. And this, is, this was kind of interesting to me. I kind of looked at this a, a little different way. Doubting God's word kills your faith. There in Matthew chapter 14, going down to verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind had ceased. Now, here's, here's what struck me about this. I was, I was reading this and I began to think about this 
scripture. And I thought, Peter, in order to get down out of the boat, he had faith. Now, you, you hear people say, oh, boy, you know what? Uh, I just I got a test coming up in, in school or for college or this and that, and I, I just don't know. It's going to be a hard test. And their friend might say, well, just have faith. But then I would say, well, have faith in what? Have faith in the test? Have faith that the test is going to be easy? Have faith in yourself that you can pass the test? Have faith in what? I was thinking, what did Peter have faith in? Did he have faith that he could walk on water because he saw somebody else do it? Well, if they can do it, I can do it. Did he have faith that the water was stable during between 3 and 4 a.m.? What did he have faith in? He had faith in the word of the Lord. That's what he had faith in. And so when Jesus said, why did you doubt? He's not saying, why do you generally doubt? Why are you just a doubtful person? Why did you doubt that you could walk on the water? Listen, I, don't, I would not blame Peter for doubting that he could walk on the water. In fact, Peter would be correct in doubting that he could walk on the water. Because guess what? Peter can't walk on the water. That's not the way we're made. We don't walk on water. That's not what he had faith in, that he could walk on water. What he had faith in was the word of the Lord. Jesus said, come. And so I believe that word that Jesus spoke, and that's what I'm going to walk on. So it doesn't matter if it's water. It doesn't matter if you're going to outer space or what it is that you're doing. What matters is what is the word of the Lord? What did the Lord say? And that's what we have to follow to a T. But we're so worried about big things. You know, somebody did something big. I want to do something big for God. I want to go overseas and heal nine million people for God. Well, did God tell you to do that? If God didn't tell you to do that, then your faith is in vain. And though you may have a response to the word of God, it is not a correct response to the word of God. We have to have a correct response to the word of God. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Now, if you look that up in the Strong's Concordance, that's rhema. That's a spoken word of God. And I believe that's very important, and, it's, and it's, it's, there's a purpose for that. That's because if, if it was just the written word of God, then we could just read anything, build an ark, right? Go, go kill some people, sacrifice some stuff, right? If it, no, it's the spoken, what did God breathe? What did he speak? What is he saying right now to us? And if we doubt that word, let me say this. Think about this. Think about a situation like this. You go to the grocery store, all right, and you're, you're doing a little shopping, the grocery store, and you go by the dairy section, and you see a gallon of milk, and it says 39 cents on it. Now, I'm not talking about in 1912. I'm talking about here, 2013. And it says 39 cents. And you say, 30, that can't be right. 39, even me who doesn't do shopping at the grocery store, I know that can't be right. So I go and ask the dairy guy. I don't know if there's a dairy guy, but the guy who's working over there. And I say, 39 cents? He said, yeah, we're having a sale. It's, it's today only. 39 cents. Well, then, of course, you would ask, now, what's wrong with the milk that you would... But just suppose it's good milk, and they had overabundance. The cows gave out a lot of milk, and so they're trying to get rid of it. All right, 39 cents. You say, wow. So you grab that milk. You grab two gallons of milk for 39 cents. 
You take it home, put it in your refrigerator, and you say, guess what? You know what? I forgot while I was out, I meant to, uh, you know, wash the car. So you go back out and wash the car. And while you're out, stop to get gas, and you see a friend of yours at the gas station. And you say, guess what, girl? I just came from Kroger. Milk is 39 cents for today only. What's she going to say? Yeah, right. I don't believe you. What if she says, I don't believe you that the milk is 39? How do you know? And you say what? I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. Who told you milk was 39 cents? No one told me. I saw it. In fact, I bought it. Where is it? Well, it's at home. Oh, well, okay, right. And you saw it with your own eyes, and you're trying to tell someone what it is, and they don't believe you. How do you feel? You feel frustrated. I know I would. Because I saw it with my own eyes. I'm not telling you what I think might have happened. I saw the milk for 39 cents. And I'm a little frustrated because they don't believe me. Now, let's juxtapose that with uh, that whole scenario happens but with someone else. And you come to the gas station. You see two people talking, two of your girlfriends. And one's talking to the other and she says, Girl, milk is 39 cents at Kroger. And the other girl says, I don't believe you. Milk is not 39 cents at Kroger. It had been 39 cents since 1962. And you say, hmm, these two are arguing about milk. And do you really care? You got milk at home, so whether she believes it or not, it really doesn't mean much to you. You want to know why? Because it's not your word that's on the line. You see, when you're the one who said it's 39 cents, and they're saying, no, I doubt that it's 39 cents, your word is on the line. And so you feel a little frustrated. I said all that to say, how do you think God feels when he tells you, come, walk on the water, and you say, mm, I don't know about that? How do you think he feels? You think he doesn't know that you can walk on the water? You think he doesn't know that you can do, or he hasn't given you the power to do what he has just told you to do? What kind of God, Father, Creator, giver of life would that be? If he tells us, do such and such, and would not give us the power and the authority to undergird what he just told us to do. How do you think that makes God feel? So that's, and that's how I look at that differently. Every time I don't do what God tells me to do, when he tells me to do it, that's the scenario. I'm saying, Lord, I don't believe your word. I'm not saying I don't believe I can't walk on water. Because I know I can't walk on water. That's not what I'm saying, but that's how we rationalize. No, Lord, I just, I believe your word. It's just that I don't just think I can walk on water. No, that's not what you're saying. He, he knows you can't walk on water. What you're saying is I don't believe you. And you're saying it by your actions. Doubting the word of God kills your faith. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about doubting God's word. Think about that. Next time you know there's a word from the Lord. You know that you're supposed to be doing something. When you doubt his word, it kills your faith. Last one, there is something that saves your faith. Right here in Matthew 14, calling for help saves your faith. Calling for help. Look back up at verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, Save me. And guess what? Jesus, Jesus, right after that, after he saved him, said, why did you doubt? 
So despite the fact that Peter doubted, the Lord still saved him. Still saved him. Why? Because he cried out. You know what this tells me? That that saying that God looks at the heart is so much more true. He knows what's in your heart if you want to have faith. What about the parable or, or the man that Jesus was talking about when he said, uh, you know, when the man said, listen, Lord, I do, do you believe? Lord, I do believe. But help thou my unbelief. Where I lack, I'm crying out to you. Help me. I want to believe. And that's where some of us are. We're at a place where we know that we haven't done everything God has told us to do. Where we know that we have doubted God's word. We haven't doubted the situation that we could do that thing. We know we can't do that thing. But what we doubted was God's word. But what the enemy would have you do is just say, well, I guess I'm just not worthy. Just forget it. I'll just, you know, I'll just come to church and I won't even try to do that thing anymore. And my window's passed. It's, it's over with. Forget about it. That's what the enemy wants you to do. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is telling you, all you got to do is cry out for me. I will help your unbelief. I know how to get you to a place of belief. I know how to get you there. Jesus got Peter there, did he not? He just said, why did you doubt? So Peter was a doubter. Thomas was a doubter. Paul was a doubter. He had to knock him down, but he got back up. Some of us are at that place. Why, why, why did you doubt? Why did you look at the circumstances? Why did you doubt me and my word? Despite the fact, here's the God that you serve. Despite the fact that we basically hurt his feelings. Come on now. I mean, if I, if I told some, somebody something that was true, and I really wanted them to believe it, and they said, ah, I don't believe that, kind of hurt my feelings. I might not show that, but it would kind of, because it's my word that they're doubting. So even though we've done that to God, if we would cry out to him, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, I want to believe. He will do it for us. He will do it for us. There are those things, saints, that hinder your faith. There are those things that really show your faith. There are those things that can absolutely kill your faith. And there are those things that can save your faith by crying out. And I believe God is saying to us today, what are you going to do? Are you going to get up? Are you going to pursue? Or are you going to stay on the sideline? Are you going to reach forth, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching for those things ahead? Or are you going to stay where you are in your tradition? Are you going to stay where you are in your faulty beliefs, in your pharisaical religion? Are you going to stay right where you are or are you going to reach forward? Now, some of the things going forward are not what you're used to. It's not familiarity. So I'm telling you, Life Church this morning, what we're reaching into is not familiarity. Not to me. Not to Pastor Phil. Not to the leadership. Not to the congregation. 
Some of it's not familiar. Some of it is a little familiar, but some of it is not familiarity. But what are we going to do? Are we going to let that hinder us? Are we going to be leaving where God told and going where God told us to go and look back, turn into a pillar of salt? Does God have to alter our destiny because he knows that as soon as we run into war, as soon as we run into trouble, we'll run back to Egypt? Does God have to do that with us? Or are we going to say, listen, I'm leaving it behind and I'm going forward. Whatever you want, Lord. I abandon everything else. Whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Whatever you want, that is what I will do. That's where we are, and that's what God wants us to do. And then, finally, you'll notice that when Peter cried out, Jesus saved him, picked him up, reached out and grabbed him, picked him up, they walked back to the boat. He just didn't throw Peter in the boat and say, all right, I'll see you guys on the other side. Because, listen, I'll tell you, Jesus didn't need to get in the boat, obviously. Right? I mean, he was walking on the water. And he had walked three and a half miles in the storm. So I don't think it was going to be a problem to walk to the other side. In fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you guys can keep me on point, but I believe one of the Gospels talks about he would have walked right past him. Right, he would just kept on walking. He was going to the other side. I'll meet you all on the other side. But they thought he was a ghost. So he said, okay, let me deal with this situation. They think I'm a ghost. And so he didn't need to, to get into the boat. He didn't just throw Peter in the boat and say, all right, Peter, there you go. Meet you all on the other side. You know what he did? He got into the boat with them. Here's the crux of it all. If you'll get out of the boat for Christ... He'll get in your boat with you. Come on. He joins those who put their faith and trust in him in such a way that no matter what we go through, we have a song in our heart because we have him. It's not our circumstances, but it's him. On that water, Jesus doesn't need to get in the boat. Jesus is doing just fine. It's not that Jesus needs them. It's that they need Jesus. Yet when we allow him, he gets in our boat and allows us to do his work even though he could do it just fine without us. We would, if we would get out of the boat for him, he'll get in our boat and help us to the other side. Amen.